0: Uh, welcome to this, the first in a, a, a shortened Cycle Systems Academy podcast series for the Tour de France. We had such good feedback in the show that we recently did with Dimitris Katsanis that we've asked Dimitris to join us for some technical insight as the race progresses. So welcome back to the show, Dimitris. Thanks so much for your efforts last time. It's good to hear from you again. And hello, Sean. Hi, guys.
1: All right? Hi, guys. Hi, everybody. It's a chicken. Yeah.
0: Now, we're a couple of days after the team time trial, and we talked at length on the last show, or you and Sean did, Demetris, about the, you know, the technical development aspects of a time trial bike. Yeah. Uh, that Pinarello got very close to the front, but was just shaded by a few seconds, and I think it shows that at the very, very top, the bikes are very close now, as well as the attention to detail that the teams pay, and it is genuinely tiny margins that make the difference.
1: Yeah, yeah. That was actually my impression from the day. Um, you had like um, a bunch of teams like uh, uh, BMC, Team Sky, uh, Quickstep and uh, so on that uh, they were all very close with each other you know, within about three or four seconds of each other from one team to the next. And then, uh, after that, you had the, the rest of the teams uh, coming up with like a, almost a minute after uh, the leaders, not quite, but almost a minute after. So you could almost see uh, on uh, who pays attention to the training, equipment and all that, and who probably, I wouldn't say they don't pay attention, but it's more on how uh, know where they put their emphasis. But yeah, it was quite good.
0: No, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, one thing I would say is I think we need to, certainly from my perspective, put to rest this myth that time trial bikes are horrors to ride and uncomfortable. As a bike designer, you're not designing bikes that are are terrible for people to ride and are hideously bad to handle, are you?
1: No, no, no. In fact, uh, these days, the time trials, they're getting more and more technical. Uh, in this particular case, uh, there were a lot of roundabouts and so on. But uh, you know, if you look on time trials, like uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, they were pretty much a flat out and back time, time, type of time trial, whereas uh, these days they're a lot more technical. Uh, they, they can have like uphills and downhills and tight corners and so on. So it's not only uh, a bike designed for the flat. No, You also have to have good brakes and uh, like uh, good geometry when you're going around the corners and so on.
0: Yeah, and if a rider's uncomfortable, he won't perform. As long as they train in the time trial position, they'll probably be more co- Well, I was always more comfortable in tri-bars than I was in the hoods.
1: Yeah, uh, tri-bars, if you do them the right way, uh, they should actually uh, put you on a, on a position that you're going to be able to relax. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's quite common to see like top tri- time trial uh, guys that... Uh, they're resting their weight on the on their forearms near the elbows and so on. And you can see that their um, their wrists, no, their, their, their fists, they're actually quite uh, relaxed. So they don't really fight with the bike. So uh, this is actually a good one if you can do it because then you have uh, the... Your energy goes on uh, pushing the pedals down, not trying to fight the bike.
0: Have you been enjoying the race, Sean? Yeah, it's been great. I think enjoying it more than the riders, you know, it's, it looks like it's been a pretty hairy tour. And one thing that's really interesting that certainly supports what Demetrius was just saying is that Lawson Craddock looked most comfortable on the team time trial, didn't he? Whereas, you know, in the road stages, he's been suffering pretty badly. Yeah, I mean one thing that surprised me is I, I'd, I'd actually tipped Geraint Thomas to go into yellow that day because you know Froome's been putting out good numbers, the team all looked strong I was surprised to see them lose, not so much Woot Powell's because as Scott was saying in the Velocast the other day his nickname within the team is now apparently third week Woot um, but to see Luke Rogo off the back, that was a big engine to lose and that might have been that four seconds and more
1: yeah, yeah, I would say that, uh, no, if you know, the more people you have on a team, the faster the team goes. And you can actually see that usually when a team is decimated and is down to, say, four or five people only, four or five riders only, uh, you're ending up with a team that goes slower. Uh, so, in, in effect, the bigger the bunch, the faster you go.
0: One question I've got for you, Dimitris, is we're moving towards, um, it's almost a classic style stage today, but we've got a couple of um, really you know, flat sprinter stages coming after the the burthin We're looking forward to, to seeing the fast guys again. On a pure road bike, we've seen so much hype about Aero Road. What kind of quantifiable difference does it make? Is it the difference between winning, winning and losing for, say, Petr Sagan or his specialised tarmac and his Venge on a given day? Eh.
1: Uh, okay.
0: It's a big question.
1: Yeah, on, on the on the, on the the road bike, you yeah. can actually make, uh, nowadays, things are getting a little bit closer. Uh, I think we are a long way from the situation that we have with the time trial bikes. Uh, the time trial bikes are developed for Pure Aero for many years, and mm-hmm. uh, the top ones, they are actually, the differences are relatively small. But on the road bikes, you still have bikes that are developed only for lightweight and uh, some of them they're like uh, maybe a halfway house and so on but uh, the aero can make uh, a massive difference on the road bikes uh, especially if you manage to make a good blend between aero, lightweight and stiffness and there is more leeway on that there's more room for development purely because the starting point for a lot of the bikes is actually not very aero at all. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about uh, this uh, from experience. When we started doing the uh, the bikes for Pinarello, the, uh, the 65.1 was a very good bike. You no, know? uh, we didn't see one the 2012, uh, 2012 tour on that. But then when we moved on to the F8, there was such a large, large uh, step Mm -hmm. But uh, even Pinarello and uh, Team Sky, they couldn't believe that. They were thinking, no, no, this cannot be right.
0: (laughs) So for you guys, are they just on the same bike all the time because you believe it's the best combination of aero and and lightweight?
1: Oh, absolutely. You need to have many people they going on and they say, oh, lightweight is important and somebody else going to tell you aerodynamics is important and... uh, Uh, and all that, but uh, a combination of properties is what actually brings you uh, to the finish line uh, faster than the other guys. And uh, you do have to have the right combination of aero and lightweight. If you overemphasize one of those and you go too light, then you're losing your aero. If you go too aero, you're losing your stiffness. And uh, yeah, you really have to have a combination.
0: Now I'm I'm hogging this show, Sean. I'm sorry because it, we are just after the teen time trial and future shows. I'll, I'll I'll leave it more to you. But I've got one more question before we we finish this wee mini Cycle Systems Academy show, and it's we saw Nairo Quintana 300 meters short of that, you know that three kilometer mark where he wouldn't have lost time, have to stop with two wheel failures. That must have been some impact. I'm really struck, and you're an expert in carbon layup, and we talked about your history in that during mm. the last Cycle Systems Academy podcast. How big a hit? Must it have been to damage two modern wheels? Because carbon wheels are perfectly good for Paris-Roubaix these days.
1: Yeah, I think he hit, uh, I think there was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Sean, but uh, I think he actually hit um, a, the pavement. I think there was some sort of roundabout or something like that, that instead of going around, he went over it.
0: Um, it's. It's. I think that's exactly right. But uh, when I think how fragile the initial carbon wheels were and how terrible they were for braking surface and all that kind of thing, the work of people like yourselves, Demetrius has made a huge difference to the even the the good club cyclist over the years. And you yeah, know, yeah. To, it's it's worthy a comment that a broken wheel used to be just something that happened, and now it's something yeah. where you go, oh wow.
1: Yeah, what uh, what you have on this one, on the days that I was uh, at the UCI, one of the uh, jobs that I did at that time was actually revising the impact test. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was uh, the old impact test that uh, you had to, uh, there was a wheel, sorry, the the old impact test, the UCI, they had, it was a test that you were dropping a a massive weight on and you were breaking, actually, the wheel. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, you were trying to have a look of, uh, if the wheel is not the way the wheel was broken but then uh, back in 2014 when I was in uh, at the UCI we devised a new test that it was that you ha- you're dropping a, a weight on the tyre of the wheel and the wheel has to survive that test to be classified as, as a wheel which is okay That's... and that that test is on for the last uh, couple of years or so yeah
0: that, that makes far more sense
1: yeah, how much white is that, Demetrius? Oh, I don't remember from the top of my head, but it's the equivalent of 40 joules, uh, which uh, I don't remember. <laughs> We're not asking you to do
0: maths on the podcast in your head, Demetrius, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. okay. Yeah. Have you got anything you want to ask Demetrius before we close for today, Sean? Well, um... I'm just obsessed with e-bikes at the moment, so there's not, hopefully, there aren't any of those in the top of (laughs) France, But certainly, um, you know, I've just been scanning the Pinarello website and all the Tour de France tech galleries and such, and I absolutely loved the um, British Time Trial colours, uh, Time Trial champion colours of Grant Thomas's bike, so I look forward to see that again later on in the Tour and I've yeah. got a moment of personal thanks actually for Dimitris because I've always enjoyed Pinarellos but when mm. they went to the really extremely curved fork, uh, fork and uh, seat stays I thought they were very ugly I think you must have been crucial in you know keeping that brand identity but making it a bit a bit less extreme and better to look at
1: yeah that that was actually uh, one of my um targets. When uh, Pinarello, they asked me to do the design uh, for them, I was actually also very proud that, you know, you have like such a brand, a mm. brand with so so much heritage that they asking me to do the design. And uh, one of the things was actually to try and uh, keep the Pinarello heritage on that. We, we had, uh, uh, this is a bit of an anecdote, no, we, we had a, a meeting uh, with that, uh, with the Pinarello guys, and uh, <clears throat> I was saying we have to keep the brand identity and the curvy shape of the Pinarello, because otherwise uh, it's going to look like uh, like a Colnago. Mm-hmm. And uh, Fauster says, "Who Say <laughs> Colnago?" (laughs) all right
0: all right yeah that's excellent Demetrius thanks so much for your time and expertise again we'll catch up with you a couple of times hopefully before the end of the tour listeners if you've enjoyed this brief show please go and listen to the last cycle systems academy podcast you can find it by searching on itunes or wherever you find your podcast where Demetrius lays out at great length his experience and uh, his history in the field and it's a privilege to be able to talk to him Uh, thanks again Demetrius thanks Sean I'll let you talk a bit more when you're not obsessed with e-bikes uh, and we'll be back with another mini Tour de France show in due course